0: This is an ABC podcast. When I call Kate Tregellis on the phone, one of the first things I realise is how much joy she gets from being outdoors. She loves birds and animals and being in the fresh air. And on the day we speak, she and her youngest daughter, who's especially animal mad, have spent the morning helping out with some local ducks.
1: We were given two ducks from friends of ours and the male duck, uh, let's just say he... Um, had a problem retracting his penis and had gotten muddy. Okay. And the mud had stuck to it. And I said, guess what, honey, what what we have to do? And she's like, hell no. <laughs> and the next minute she's making this warm bath for this duck, but ma- Mum got to do the, you know, the hands-on stuff. The dirty work, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay got it. They're actually corkscrew penises, which is really I have bizarre. heard that. I have actually yes. heard that a duck has a corkscrew-shaped penis. Well... Take it from
0: me, they do. I'm Elizabeth Kulas. Welcome to Days Like These. This is a brand new show born in unprecedented times. We have an amazing crew of reporters to bring you some of the best Australian stories you've never heard. Stories that celebrate triumphs against the odds, resilience in times of adversity Stories of love, of joy. And we hope that in some small way, these stories can act as an antidote to how a lot of us are feeling. And today, we meet a family who kept a big secret from each other to make it through Australia's black summer. Kate and her family live in Mallacoota. It's a little one-pub beach town right at the far eastern tip of Victoria, just shy of the New South Wales border. The kind of place that every summer overflows. People come for the beach, for the fishing, for the rough beauty of the national park that wraps around it all. But at the height of the 2019 summer, that wilderness caught fire. And it would burn so fast and so fiercely that eventually Navy ships would be the only way to get people out. And like everyone that lived in the town, over those few days just after Christmas, Kate and her family stood to lose everything. The family have lived here for more than 15 years. There's Kate, her husband, a retired policeman, and their three daughters, now aged 17, 15 and 13. Like I said, Kate's outdoorsy. She loves her garden and says it's possible to grow almost anything around there, and she does. But in 2019, as the spring wore on, she started to get a creeping feeling that the months ahead were going to be different in this corner of the country.
1: I'm a mad keen gardener. That is my absolute passion. But I knew the way my garden was growing, that it was going to be a very hot, very dry summer. From October onwards, I had a real sense of trepidation. The soil was, was completely baked and dried out. There was no moisture anywhere. And it became fairly clear to us in the few days in between Christmas and New Year that it was likely that we would be impacted by fire.
0: And when you realise that, what are you thinking that it could mean for your home specifically?
1: We're right on the edge of town, right next to hundreds of hectares of National Park, and our house is a long, linear, north-facing house. And I thought, should a fire front come, that house is going to be the first to go. We've always being really upfront with our girls and we don't sugarcoat anything but we actually sat down with them one night and said this is what we think may happen in the next week we're hoping it doesn't but I've drawn up a list of jobs for everyone and I'm putting it on the fridge just small things but I said should we have to evacuate you go to the fridge and finish those jobs until I say it's time to go. And we hooked up our camper trailer and pulled that all apart and restocked that because I thought having a camper trailer at least, we might have somewhere to live in the short term.
0: So what happens in the next few days? Because I mean, lots of people around the country were also watching as the risk around Mallacoota East Gippsland just seemed to be escalating in that corner.
1: They held a meeting right in the middle of the Oval in town. It was a really hot day. Um... And, of course, there were lots of campers there and that was at 11 o'clock from memory and by 11.30 people were leaving and packing up and going because the police said, shortly the road's going to be closed, there is fire approaching us from Wingian Inlet, which is 40 kilometres away on the coast. And the last fire that hit town back in 1983, it took 24 hours for it to burn about 140 kilometres from Marlow on the coast up to Malakuta, So we knew from precedent. There wasn't much time. Well, well, less than probably 12 hours uh, because Wing in England was only 40 kilometres away. I went home after that and made lunch for everyone and it was pretty quick lunch. (laughs) And they kept coming up and asking me questions and I said, I'm just going to make some lunch. I'm going to wait till we're all sitting down together and have, because I wanted to buy a bit of time for myself to think about the best way of telling them that yes, it was going to happen. Um, You know, the worst case scenario, really, in lots of ways. Part of me was really calm and really, maybe it was like instant acceptance of we're not going to get a lot of help, we don't think, because. Half of Victoria's up in flames at the moment, and now the worst is coming. And the other half of me was was inside going, chi, 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 chi. and then on my mobile phone, I got a phone call, and it was the siren, the whoop, 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 leave now, you must evacuate now. It's that recorded emergency warning, but I just stopped dead in the lounge room. I was literally on my way out. I had an armful of stuff to take out and I just remember thinking, holy shit, it's upon us. We made the decision we'd have to leave the horses behind. We opened all the internal gates and painted their uh, phone number on them and I opened the chook pen and basically thought they'll have to fend for themselves. I was quite prepared to leave the goldfish at home in their tank because I didn't think there was a good way of transporting them. And I had a stand-up argument with our youngest daughter. Everyone else is in the cars and she's saying, we can't leave them, I'm not going if we leave them. And, And in the end, we had five guinea pigs, one rabbit, Three dogs, two cats and the five goldfish we evacuated with. <laughs> wow.
0: It insane. Did you close the front door? Were you the last one leaving the house?
1: Yes. And I remember, like, just touching the house for a second and thinking, oh, stay safe or just I hope I come back to you.
0: now late afternoon, on the day before New Year's Eve. Kate and the family drive the few minutes from home to the town evacuation point, which is down near the wharf, just in front of the main shopping strip. It's a flat area with a public fish-cutting station and a visitor information booth, decorated with a mural of local characters. It was usually where the girls would come to do bombs off the end of the jetty after school. But tonight, almost everyone in town has migrated down there lining up cars and boats near the water's edge. A last resort, if things get really bad.
1: We got down there about five o'clock in the afternoon and it was uh, literally within minutes of getting that phone call and it was quite um, busy already. No-one was panicking, but it was that real sense of foreboding that uh, the fire was headed our way and it was really a waiting game thing. There's only one power line between here and Bairndale, 240 kilometres away, and that had been cut by the fires. So there's no power in town. And the only time people did really speak loudly was if someone had heard some news. Any news we were getting was from outside of town. It was from people retweeting posts and so... We literally felt quite trapped. On one hand, you were waiting and waiting and waiting in this terrible, heavy silence. And then every so often someone would say, oh, someone would yell out, the school's gone, or something like that. We were told within two hours of being evacuated down there that our house, my husband told me, he said, he came and grabbed me sort of by the arm and with this look on his face... And I just knew what he was going to say before I even said it. And he said, um, the house is gone. Oh. And I thought, why don't I feel anything? Although I've been expecting this, I was pretty sure it would go. And I just looked at him and said, we're not telling the girls. And he said, no, no way. We, it's already traumatic enough for them now living through this. They don't need to know that their home is gone as well. I ended up spending most of the night off and on in the car with my friend because she was panicking quite a lot and was really tearful. And then we'd talk for a while and she would fall off to sleep sitting up in the car. And I I was sitting up next to her with my legs through the passenger side window because it was so hot and uncomfortable. The temperature got up to 50 degrees before the temperature gauge of the wharf stopped working. And I remember actually, at one stage, looking it around at all the people who were really stressed and worried, and looking at our girls sleeping on the swag, and looking out to what I in the direction of the sea, because uh, you couldn't see anything. It was just black, and it was really smoky by then. And realising, I'm really impatient. As in, I want this, hurry up and just happen, just so we can get it over and done with. I want to know what the worst is that's going to happen. I just want to get over this and get through this with everyone alive and intact and I know my town will never be the same again.
0: First today to
1: the bushfire emergency in Far Eastern Victoria. The Premier, Daniel Andrews, has just announced four people are missing. About 5,000 people have been sheltering on the beach at Mallacoota as fires menace the town. The popular holiday spot sits on a coastal inlet and is bordered by the Croajingolong National Park.
0: The long night finally passes. Most people caught between wakefulness and unsettled sleep. And when dawn finally breaks, it's New Year's Eve.
1: You kind of settled down and waited overnight, but then about six o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden there was a flurry of people people who'd stayed behind to defend their own homes in various parts of town. All of a sudden there was a real flurry of people. And we had started to get dawn and we had a bit of daylight and then it um, it went back to nightfall. And then we started hearing things like massive explosions over town because... Most houses in town are on gas, you know the big gas cylinders, and when they blevy, it's like a huge gunshot going off, and they, they explode. Um, and we started hearing one, and then another, and whatever. And we, and by now there's embers raining down on us. Then there was about four fire trucks who basically ringed the the evacuation area, and I thought, oh God, here we come. It became eerily quiet and when people talked, they talked in whispers. The heaviness of the air and the portent, that waiting, I think people were almost like poised to run, poised to like literally dive off the wharf and into the water if they had to. But about lunchtime, I think, just when we thought, oh, the worst of it was over, Cools Inlet caught a light and it raced up the hill towards a whole lot of house. And we thought, God, like, it's so close to us. Um, And the way the wind was gusting, we felt like the fire was just gonna come roaring down over the top of us. And then by about five o'clock, You had a sense of the worst is over. Um, I don't quite know how I got that sense, but I think the daylight helped a lot. And so I ended up walking out of the centre of town and walking up to our house. It was just one shock after another, you know. Our friend's house had gone and -and so-and-so's house had gone and there was so much damage. And when I walked up and saw it still standing... Oh, I literally fell in a heap, literally, and sort of gasped and thought, oh, God.
0: Were you just in complete shock?
1: Yes. I think I had prepared myself for the house to be burnt down. And the relief or the surprise when it wasn't, um, it was wonderful. And then I walked around and then saw how close we had come. Um, it was bizarre because even though there was green lawn up to the back veranda, there was being two fires either side of our back door that had gone up into the roof and I, and it was still smouldering. And I'm looking going, those fires had taken hold in the roof and our house is still standing. How the hell did they stop? And, and all the while looking, thinking, it should have burnt. I kept saying to myself, it should have burned. Why didn't it burn? I, I can tell you this. When I was there, one of the smouldering piles, it burst into flames again, one of the piles. I tried hosing it with the hose, first of all, but the water had been cut off. And then I ran inside and I'm using the water from the kettle to put out this fire and there wasn't enough water there, and I'm grabbing pot plants and seeing if there's water in the bottom of the pot plants, and this fire is getting bigger, and all I kept thinking was, if I don't do something soon, this fire is going to get too big for me to handle, and in the end, I'm thinking, crap, I've got nothing to put it out with, um, and I was quite agitated by then. I thought, I really need, I'm really busting. I really need to have a pee
0: so no <laughs> i put out to fire okay do whatever it takes oh my god it was and then nature called
1: well i drunk so much water in the last 24 hours because it's been so hot
0: you need to be given some kind of medal for ingenuity and in australian bravery and problem solving god no no no,
1: no for, for for immense bladder capacity i think <laughs> I found out later um, that the lady who used to live in this house and the tiny little postmistress who'd stayed behind to look after their place and the horses had um, seen the smoke, all the smoke billowing out from our back veranda. And they had gone over and fought the two fires with the garden hose. But there was only one hose between the two of them and there were two different fires on either side of the back door. And apparently they were arguing, you've had the hose for five minutes, it's my turn. No, my fire's bigger than your fire. <laughs> but I didn't I, I, I didn't find that out for about four days afterwards. But the girls were wrapped that all the chickens had survived. I, I still don't know where they went, but they all survived. They all came back and their horses had survived. It's funny because in some ways that night felt like it lasted forever. We felt like we'd been away for months or a week at least, but it was only 24 hours, literally. We had dinner at about 10 o'clock New Year's Eve. I think it was cold baked beans because we had no power, no water at that stage still. And I remember saying to the girls, well, happy New Year's Eve, like, and let's hope next year will be... and we suddenly all just wanted to go off to our own beds and just block it all out for a while. I've hardly cried at all since the fires um, because this part of me thinks if I start crying, I'll never stop.
0: They'd survived, but everywhere there were reminders of just how close they'd come to losing it all. There were holes in the trampoline where embers had singed through, For weeks, spot fires kept popping up and there was endless cleaning, always more cleaning. Kate and her husband would wait until the girls were asleep to bury the dead wildlife that they found on the property. And in the mornings, they would wake up to find that more fine ash had drifted down through the roof to coat their bedsheets. It took a whole month before they had a chance to escape town, see some friends. But they weren't through with all the surprises of that dreadful night before New Year's Eve.
1: The first night after we left town, about a month later, we were sitting there at our friends, sitting around, chatting through dinner, and I said something about the rumours and I said, oh, yeah, like people telling your house has burnt down when it hasn't. And the girl said, oh, yeah. We were so relieved to know that it hadn't... And my husband and I had never told them that we'd been told that. And I just looked and said, how did you know like, who told you? And they said, Oh, we were told the night we were evacuated on the wharf, down the wharf, our house had burned. And what we didn't know at the time was a school friend of theirs said, Oh, sorry about your house, and told them that the house had burned. I said, Well, how come you never said anything to Dad and I? And they looked, kind of looked at each other stealthily and I said, well, we made a pact not
0: to tell you and Dad. So effectively, your, your daughters found out almost at the same time as you, but you had no idea at the time.
1: Yes. Yeah. We vowed not to tell them and they vowed not to tell us. Were they protecting you? Did they think they were protecting you? Yeah, they, they wanted to protect us, I think. But there was a part of me that was really struggled with that and was really cut up about that. Like, we've never been a family to keep things for one another and I felt really strange about that. Our eldest girl said, we figured you and Dad didn't need to have that kind of grief. That's what's happened. i try to do that with that one. His legs just want to hold him. Relax, relax, relax. Is that the one with our... Uh... He does it's not like asleep. sleep. That's in my ear. You guys didn't help me. I did. You did. Did I to like
0: sleep? Yeah. I am the chicken whisperer. <laughs> no out. <laughs> it's
1: okay.
0: Thanks to Kate Tregellis for sharing that story, and to her husband Mark and their teenage girls, Sarah, Emily, and Jessica. On the next episode of Days Like These. A mother's epic quest to do what's best for her child played out against the hellscape of a hectic Melbourne shopping centre. I felt sick, like my stomach had just dropped into my butt. I shot out of the shoe store. I wheeled the pram frantically through the shopping centre all the way back up to the doors, retracing my steps past every shop we'd looked into, everywhere, and baby was nowhere to be found. We hope you're enjoying the show so far. Please subscribe or give us a rating in your podcast app. You can share us with a friend or on Twitter or Facebook. If there's a story that you want us to hear, please share it with us. You can record a voice memo or you can send us a note. We are dayslikethese at abc.net.au. Days Like These is hosted by me, Elizabeth Collass. Our lead reporter is Pat Abud. Our season one reporting team includes Alex Lowellback, Sam Wicks and Monique Boley. Our researcher is Tamar Kranswick. The digital team includes Andrew Davies and Michael Delaney. Sound design on this episode by Andre Shabanov and Kerry Dell. With thanks to Timothy Nicastri and Stephen Tilley. A huge thanks also to our incredible executive producers... Rachel Fountain and Ian Walker. Our theme song is Yeah Na" by The Gooch Pants, courtesy of Ratbag Records and BMG. Extra music by Russell Stapleton. See you next time. you're looking for another great podcast to get stuck into here's an abc show that's one of my top picks i absolutely loved this series it's called unravel true crime and a great place to start is with season four snowball it was one of the bust out hit podcasts in australia in 2019 and it really is a must listen snowball is a screwball story of a kiwi family who lose everything to an american con woman only to bounce back track her down and ultimately find strength in each other it is extremely funny, an added bonus for a true crime show, no one dies. The reporter at the centre of it all is Ollie Wards. He's the youngest brother from that survivor family, so you get a real first-person perspective for the whole ride.
2: This woman's a bit kind of like, you know, not what she claims to be.
0: And that was her allure. You just
1: followed her.
2: That's just like a finger, isn't it? It's a big metal finger. So we call her the Black Widow. My brother married an American con artist. This isn't the kind of story you would expect to happen to a pretty average Kiwi family like mine. What happened cost us everything. My parents lost more than a million dollars. Held it up to the light and everything merged. We'd been done. Mum and dad ended up homeless. We just were destroyed. It all started when my bro Greg was a backpacker in London. He met Leslie Manuki a confident, charismatic Californian. Well, let's throw in there Kim Kardashian, lookalike, sophisticated, female operative, ready to woo me as well. Greg was wooed, partly because he loves everything to do with America. I think I was an Americanophile. So he brought his American dream girl home to New Zealand. They got married. I guess. When you marry someone, you feel like you really know them. Within a few months, Leslie had taken off to the US, and none of us ever saw her again. I was living overseas when all of this went down. I normally work at an Australian radio station, Triple J, helping other people tell stories. Now, I'm going to investigate the story of my own.
1: It was it was so weird.
2: Smuggled out of Armenia? Whoa! explain. There's just so many questions. Like, why did this American woman con my family? How did she just get away? That person has a border alert placed on them. Who else has this happened to? It just started getting shadier and shadier. She's a manipulative con artist. And who really is Leslie Minukian? Oh, the scammer? To find answers... I'll have to get past her big shot lawyer to the stars. Can you believe this jerk? As your lawyer, I'm starting to make threats also. And I'm going to travel across the world to track Leslie down. We're getting reports of some light chop on the descent into L.A. itself. So what are, are we getting I'm ourselves into? I will be okay. I'm running. I'm Ollie Wards. Join me for Snowball. Stand by. The Snowball is about to hit you.
0: Check out season four of Unravel True Crime, Snowball. It's a great listen all the way through.